book, and uh, we're going to actually sort of continue with the same, somewhat of the same uh, thought process that we talked about last week with Christian liberty, and, and uh, Paul, uh, through chapter 8, 9, and 10, um, kind of has the, uh, the same uh, thought process going on and, and, and coming at the same thing from a few different directions. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll read the first two verses and starting now, it says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? And have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? And if I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal of, of mine work, of mine apostleship, are ye in the Lord. You can be seated tonight. So remember just the context of, of, of what chapter 8 was about with Christian liberty, and they were having the discussion about um, eating meats that had been offered to idols. And Paul is really just continuing on with that same um, uh, thought and uh, um, and he was he, in chapter eight. He was discussing their Christian liberty um, in regards to those meats that were offered to idols, whether you should eat them or not, and whether it's beneficial. And of course, we talked about that last week. Um, and he was asking the church to to really let go of their rights based on love, based on um, the the benefit of the church and and their fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. And he, he made the statement, he says, all, all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. So we understand that in Christian liberty, we, are, we have the right to do some things, um, but just because we have the right to do it, doesn't mean that it is beneficial or expedient. And we have to ask our questions, does this lift up? Does this build up? Does it edify the body, um, or does it tear down the body of Christ? Uh, our actions, the way we live, the way we talk around the church and, and around others, do, what, what kind of effect does it have on the church, on, on the body of Christ? And this is what, what Paul was talking about. So now, um, in this chapter, um, Paul is using himself um, as an example of giving up his rights uh, for the benefit of the kingdom, um, for the benefit of the church. So he's going to be using himself as an example. And while he um, is using himself as an example, he does in these first two verses uh, take an opportunity to defend his apostleship um, to this church, um, which it seems that some, in their knowledge, were, were questioning. And we understand that the Apostle Paul was an apostle to the church in Corinth, and, he, and literally an apostle is just one who is sent under commission uh, by God. And we, we refer uh, primarily to the, the 12 apostles and also to Paul when talking about the early church. And they had a, a special commission, these 12, and the Apostle Paul had a, a special commission uh, to lay the foundation of the New Testament church. We read in Ephesians uh, chapter 3 and 19 and 20, it says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. 
Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So that's why we call ourselves apostolic. I had this conversation with somebody yesterday, and, and they, will, they will ask, you know, what kind of denomination or what kind of church do you go to or pastor? And I say, we're apostolic. And they ask, well, what does that mean? Well, that means that we want to teach um, what the apostles taught. The apostles laid the foundation, and the prophets of the Old Testament laid the foundation for the church. And we want to stick close, very close, and right on with what they taught and, and what they believed. So we're apostolic. So the requirement, uh, it seems, to hold the apostleship in, in, in the early church um, during this time was, was that they had, to, they had to see Jesus, right? Of course, uh, the 12 had literally walked with Jesus. They had, they had seen him um, during his earthly ministry, and, and we read that Paul had seen Jesus um, on the road to Damascus. We read in, in 1 Corinthians 15 and 7 and 8, it says, After that, uh, this is the Apostle Paul talking, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, speaking of Jesus, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as a, of one born out of due time. So the Apostle Paul considered himself an apostle that was born out of due time, but he had see, seen Jesus on the road to Damascus. So this, this apostleship of the 12 and the Apostle Paul in the early church, um, they, were, they, had, they were given a special apostleship because they were literally laying the foundation um, for the early church. And they were representatives of the church um, from God. They were literally sent by God to do this. And, and many people... When talking about apostleship, they have differing opinions um, of how apostleship works today, uh, present-day apostles. Um, my, my personal thought is that if a, if a man is sent from God uh, to an area that has never heard the word, um, he is an apostle. Um, you know, Brother, brother De, uh, Benny DeMerchant, he was an apostle to Brazil. That area had never heard the word of God, and he preached the word, and, and we could even consider Brother Walters uh, an apostle to Bismarck. This area had never heard truth before, but there, there are di differing views of that, and um, you know we ought to be careful um, calling ourselves apostles, that's for sure, that's my opinion. But uh, we understand that the 12 and the apostle Paul did have a, a special apostleship uh, for this specific time, and that was to lay the foundations of the early church. So Paul took this opportunity when talking about Christian liberty um, to defend his apostleship um, to this church in Corinth. So we read on in verse 3, it says, Mine answer to them that do examine me is this. It says, Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working? So going back to Paul's liberty and his rights as an apostle to this church, he was asking these questions. And he asked, don't I have the authority, don't I have the right to be provided for? That's what he was saying. He says, he says, if I was married, 
Um, wouldn't it be appropriate for my wife to be taken care of as you've taken care of other apostles? Speaking of Peter and, and, and Peter's wife, um, he was talking about his right to be supported financially uh, by the church in Corinth. And he, and he was using this scenario as an example um, with what he was talking about in the previous chapter in regards to Christian liberty. So he used several defenses um, to make a case for his right, for his liberty, right, to be supported, for his ministry to be supported by the church in Corinth. So we're going to just go through some of these defenses talked about um, in this chapter. Number one, he was the apostle to the church. And he made that very clear, that, he, that this was a, a church that he had helped start. And he was, the, he was sent there by God to, to plow on ground that had never been worked before. Um, the number two, um, defending his right to be supported by this church is, is just literally common sense, or you could say uh, human experience. In verse 7, he says, who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges, and who planteth a, a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof, and who feedeth a flock and, and eateth not of the milk of the flock? The apostle Paul was making this, he was making the claim, if the government, if your, if your country calls you to war, they're going to pay your wage and they're going to provide the resources that you need. That would be just common sense. And if you plant a, a garden, if you plant a vineyard, it only makes sense that if you planted it, that you would also uh, be able to eat of the garden and of the vineyard. And he says, if you're a rancher, um, it would be a given that you would be able to eat of, of the livestock that you are raising. And Paul's like, this is just, this is just common knowledge. This is, this is part of the human experience. And, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's common sense that a workman deserves wages for his labor. That's what he was saying. And he said, if it's true in the secular realm, um, it's true in the spiritual realm. In the case of, of a workman uh, being paid a wage, deserving wages for his labor. We read in verse 8, it says, Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? He says, do you think that I'm just expressing my own opinion? Say, do you think I just made this up? He says, or what, what, does the, what does the scripture say about this? So then we get to the third um, defense that Paul had for his right to be supported by this church, and it was just the Old Testament law. And we read, in, uh, starting in verse 9, it says, For it is written in the law of Moses that thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that hath ploweth should plow in hope, and he that hath thresheth in hope should, he, should be partaker of his hope. And if we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things. And if others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. So 
Um, he, he made the claim of, of common sense, and then he said, do you think I'm just making this up? He said, let's see what, what Scripture says about this. So he, he reads the law of Moses and understand that the Old Testament was the Bible for the early church. Um, the New Testament was uh, being written as Paul was writing, literally, okay? So they looked back to the Old Testament, and they looked to it for, for guiding principles to live by. And Augustine said this, he says, the new is in the old concealed, and the old is by the new revealed. So we understand that, uh, that they were free from the demands of the law, um, but not the principles of the law. Okay? They were free from the, uh, the ceremonial law, but not the, the principle of the law and what it was teaching still stands. So Paul was referred back to this scripture, which was Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 4, and it, it was teaching a principle that still stands today. And, and basically, it would be cruel um, to muzzle the mouth of the oxen, um, who were the animals that had plowed the soil in preparation for the sowing. And also, these were the animals that were now treading out to the corn or the grain for the harvest. It would be cruel to not let them eat of the, the labor that they were putting in. And uh, that, that was the law of God, law of Moses in, in Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 4. And, and understand that Paul was making the correlation that, that he had plowed soil in Corinth. He, he, he showed up and began to plow and get it ready to, to, for seed to be sown. So he plowed the soil and, and he uh, sowed the seed and he had seen a harvest. Um, and it was only right for him to be able to partake of the fruit of his labors. So he was making this defense um, for his right to be supported by this church. And, and literally tonight I could, I could, and I won't, I could teach a whole lesson about money. And uh, that's a favorite topic, right? There's a lot of verses in the Bible about money. A lot. And, uh, and it's uncomfortable for, for me to talk about it. Um, but, but I was just thinking about this, and I could teach about tithing and offering, and I, I probably will down the road because I believe that this is important. But I was thinking today that it takes money to live in your home. Okay, It takes money to live in your apartment. You pay a mortgage. You pay rent, right? That's just common sense. It, take, it took money to get here tonight. You had to put gas in the car. You had to pay for that car. Okay, that's just, it takes money to get to and fro. Um, it also took money to drive on the roads that got you to here tonight. Okay, we pay taxes. Amen? <laughs> we love taxes. And we, we know that Jesus said to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So I think it's right that we would, that we would pay our taxes. But he also said... Give to God what is God's, okay? Which would be tithe and offering. And so common sense that everything in life takes money to do and to have, well, it also takes money to have a church, okay? It takes money 
to have a pastor. It takes money to have a secretary here at the church. It, it takes money to keep the lights on. It, keeps, it takes money to have AC today. Aren't you thankful for AC? It takes money for heat in the wintertime. It takes money to keep the, 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 the lot plowed and, and all these sorts of things. It takes money for us, for this church, to fulfill the Great Commission. You know, we, uh, we, you know, we've been a giving church over the years to missions and, and pretty much every missionary that comes through these doors, we take them on um, and support them. It takes money to do that. So, and we understand that everything else, everything else in life takes money. So don't think we can come to church and it's just a free pass. Okay, so it would make sense that we would also, not only would we give money you know, what's Caesar's, Caesar's, but we'd also give uh, what's God, God's, okay? So there's my little snippet about pay your tithes. <laughs> Tithe is 10% of your income, and it's God's money. It's not even yours. It's God's money. If you don't pay your tithes, you're literally stealing money from God because it's not yours. It's, it's God's money. And, uh, and, you know, Malachi talks about, you know, robbing God of your tithe and your offering, okay? So, um, Brother Chuppy over the years has preached 10% tithe, which is scriptural. He's also preached 5% offering. Um, uh, it helps keep the lights on, helps keep things going. And here's what I'll say, and I know it's uncomfortable to hear about me talk about your money, and it's uncomfortable to, to say it, but... It's one of those things where when, when people aren't giving, um, I, I don't look at it like, oh boy, we could have that money in the bank account at church. We could do something with it. I don't look at it like that. I look at it like they're missing out on a great blessing from God. There is great blessing in giving. And I could spend the next 27 minutes talking about stories personal stories about how God has blessed through giving, okay? So don't miss out on a great, great blessing about giving. If you, you know, today, pay your tithes, pay your offering. You want to know what? When there's SOC, um, you know, pledges and She's for Christ pledges and all, like, give to it. Give to missions, Okay? Everybody, you, you ought to challenge yourself to give to missions. You will be blessed. You will be blessed if you begin. God will begin to, something happens. I, I don't quite understand it, but something happens in the spiritual realm when you give money. It just happens. You know, we, you know I give Brother Mole a pretty hard time because He's into all this crazy flash and promoting, you know, Sunday school and all this stuff and raising big offerings. And he's like, uh, he's the definition of a promoter. And when he got up and said, we're going to raise $100,000 for SOC, I'm just like, my goodness, you know, like, do we need to raise that much money? Like, that's what I'm thinking. I know you guys are thinking that too. All these little bags up in the front and all this crazy stuff. But you want to know what? They raised the money. People gave, 
And like this year, children's ministry has blown up. Like there was, there was like over 100 kids at family camp and, and children's church. I think junior camp had record attendance. Bible quizzing this year had record team number. Like something happens when we give. Everybody say amen so I can move on. All right. That was good. Number, the number uh, four reason for a defense that Paul was making for his right to be supported. In verse 13 says, Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? And he was literally making the defense of Old Testament practice. He said that, you know, the priests and the Levites lived off the sacrifices and offerings that were brought to the temple. And if Old Testament ministers were supported by the people to whom they ministered to, should not God's servants who minister in, in under grace and in, in the New Testament church also be supported? The fifth reason is, is Jesus said it. Verse 14 it says, Even so hath the Lord ordained that, that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And Paul was certainly echoing Jesus' words, even though he did not have the written word at the time. Um, a lot of stuff that w- was being talked about and verbally, um, you know, uh, basically verbally communicated amongst each other. We read in Matthew 10 and 10, it says, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet stays for the workman, this is Jesus, for the workman is worthy of his meat. So those who um, live by the gospel should be supported by the gospel. So Paul was defending his right to be supported financially by the church. And interesting enough, he's going to make a switch and now he's going to defend his right to refuse support. Um, he, was, uh, he was showing, and, and the principle and the overall thing that he was trying to, to teach is that how, how to be mature with Christian liberty. And in, in chapter 8, um, we, we talked about Christian liberty and our rights being yoked together with love, okay? Caring about our brother and sister and not, not doing anything that would offend or become a stumbling block to them, okay? In this chapter, Paul is, is making the point that, that your Christian liberty and your rights also, um, yoked with love, but also needs to be yoked with discipline, Okay, discipline. Um, and uh, we're going to get into this because he was basically, he, he made the defense that he was, you know, the reasons to be supported and also now his reasons that he could refuse the support and why he did that. Uh, Paul did not have the right to give up his liberty in Christ, but he had the liberty to give up his rights. And that was a quote by uh, Warren Wearsby. And that's exactly what, what the Apostle Paul did. And he was, he, was making, he was making the point that should not the stronger believers in the church be able to set aside their rights for the sake of the weaker saints? Was eating meats offered to idols more important than edifying the church? And Paul was talking about priorities. What, what is really important what are what are the what are what is this all about and we, and we have to have this sort of thought process 
um, as part of the body of Christ, that it's not every man for himself, that we are part of something bigger. So we're going to take a look at his reasons now for refusing the support of the Corinthian church. And, and his whole purpose in doing this, we'll see, is that he did not want to hinder the gospel. Okay, so uh, we read in, uh, the number one reason was for the gospel's sake. He did not want to hinder the gospel. In verse 15, he says, but I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me, for it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glory in void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward, but if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. So Paul first makes it clear that he wasn't writing this to hint that he wanted to be supported by the church. Okay? He said, I'm not writing this to hint to you that I want the financial support. And he's writing, his whole purpose for doing this was so that the, the gospel message would not be hindered. And we have to understand that in Corinth, uh, um, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of people that thought they knew a lot of things. They had a, uh, all sorts of teachers and preachers uh, that taught false doctrines. And, and usually they were after one thing. And uh, it, was prob- it was usually money. They were after money. And the saints on these pews in this church, they knew this. And they were aware of this. And, and I was thinking today that uh, you know, I heard a story, and just to kind of put this, maybe a relatable story for this present time, but I, I heard a story about a pastor, and this was, uh, this was a, a Pentecostal church, and this pastor had embezzled money from the church. Um, he had taken advantage of, of tens of thousands of dollars from the church, and unfortunately, this happens Unfortunately, it happens, and they take advantage of the people, they take advantage of their authority, take advantage of the church, and, and uh, so obviously it came to a head, and, and this pastor obviously was released from his duties, and, and a new pastor came in, and now this new pastor is dealing with a pretty tough situation, and that new pastor, I don't know, you know what, what amount of time it was, but it was quite a few years where he decided not to draw any income from the church or to really have full power and authority over those finances um, just because of the situation that the church had dealt with. Now, was it lawful for him to take the tithe of that church? course it was. He could have done that. And would it have been law, would have been his right to have authority over that, those finances? Sure. But he understood that it wasn't expedient, that it wasn't beneficial for their situation because of what the church had just went through with the previous pastor. So this is a, 
sort of a, you know, what, what, what Paul was sort of dealing with. There, there had to have been a situation done in, in Corinth where, where, you know, Paul didn't want to be a hindrance to the, to the gospel because he took money. And it's really too bad that, uh, that we have these situations. But Paul was making it clear that he was commissioned by God. Um, he said, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. And, uh, there was a divine stewardship of responsibility that Paul had uh, for this church in Corinth. And, and he understood that a steward of God needs to be found faithful. And this was Paul's goal. So he wanted it to be clear that he was preaching because God had called him and not for money. He wanted the church to know that. His, his reward was that nobody could accuse him of preaching for any other reason than being sent by God. That was, that was the reason he did not accept financial report, uh, support from the Corinthian church. And he was, he was uh, using this whole s- scenario as an example of being mature with your liberty. And coupling that, that liberty with discipline. And again, it's too bad that we do have situations like this and, and, and uh, preachers take advantage of people in the church and take advantage of the finances and, and wrong attitudes about money have, have hindered the gospel really since the beginning. We read Ananias and Sapphira. They love money more than they love the truth. And Simon the sorcerer thought he could by the Holy Ghost. And we even have a word in the dictionary named after Simon. I think they pronounce it simony, which literally means the buying or selling of ecclesiastical privileges. So people have had um, bad attitudes about money, have misused money since um, the very beginning. So the number two reason that Paul was refusing his right was for the sinner's sake. We read in, in chapter, uh, verse 19, says, For though I be free from men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, and to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law, and to them that are without the law as without the law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. And I, I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Interesting statement he starts out there. He says, I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all men. Because he was free in Jesus Christ, he was able to serve others while setting aside his own rights for their sake. Okay? Um, needs, uh, and this really does need to be our thought process with, with the body of Christ. And, and Paul's special calling was, was to the Gentiles, but he, he did still have a burden for his own people, the Jewish people. And, and when he would go to a new place where the gospel had never been preached before, he oftentimes would first go to the, the synagogue. And if the, if, the, if the Jews rejected him, then he would go to the Gentiles. And these two groups of people were very different, Jews and Gentile. 
And, the, you know, the Jews had the law and the covenants and in a certain way that they had, um, they had a culture that they were raised with. And then Gentiles were dealing with all sorts of uh, paganistic and Greek, you know, mythology, all this crazy stuff, that way of thinking. But the interesting thing was is that Paul was able to effectively minister to both groups. And even within this church, both of these groups had different ideas on financial support. And, he, and Paul said, I, I am made all things to all men. And Paul did not change uh, the message for certain people. He did not compromise um, anything dependent on, on who he was you know, preaching to. He did not do that. He just literally would change his approach to people depending on who he was dealing with. You know, to Nicodemus, he, he told him of a, of a spiritual birth, being born again. And to the Samaritan lady, he told her about rivers of living water. Okay? Um, with, the, with the Jews, he, he would oftentimes start with Old Testament patriarchs because they understood that. But he didn't start there with the, with the Gentiles. Oftentimes with the Gentiles, he would start in the beginning. You know, God created. And he would come against, uh, you know, their, their, their old ways of thinking and come against Greek mythology and, and paganism and that God was in the beginning. He was the creator. So he didn't change the message. He would oftentimes just change the approach for different people. And I think that's good. I think that's a good thing that we should really try to find common ground with people. Um, we don't need to, you know, I, I was talking to a guy the other day talking about, you know, salesmanship, and I, I hate to, to mix the two, um, but in, when, we, when you're selling a job and, and you go into the home, that, what you don't want to do is create object, um, objectives, Okay. You don't want to go in there and, and build walls. So I, I personally, I sell a lot of bathroom remodels. And so the first thing you think of in a bathroom remodel is tile. All right, a custom tile shower. That's what everybody wants. Um, so, but we don't do tile. We don't do any tile work. We have another product. It's called Onyx. And if you want to be sold on it, I, I can talk to you later about it. But so a lot of times I come into the home, they bring me into their bathroom. They're like, yeah, we want to do, you know, we want to do tile all the way to the ceiling. And, and so right away, I don't say, well, man, we don't do tile. I don't create an objective, objection. That's the word I was looking for, objection. I don't create an objection right away. I just literally sometimes just don't say anything. I'm like, oh, okay, you, you know, we want it up to the ceiling and we talk through what they want. And, and then five, ten minutes into it, I'm like, well, you know, we actually don't sell any tile. You know, this is the product we sell and this is the reason we sell this instead of tile, all that sort of thing. But you don't want to create objections right away. You want to find common ground with people. And I think that's just wisdom um, with dealing with people um, for the sake of the gospel. Okay, we want to build bridges, not walls. 
So sometimes it's good to, to find common ground with people and, and understand where they're coming from. One thing that we train in salesmanship, and again, I'm not trying to mix the two entirely, but we train to ask people questions. So uh, the typical salesman walks into the home and starts talking and doesn't stop until he leaves. Okay, salesmen are usually good talkers. Well, we've literally had to train ourselves that when we go into the home, we're asking them questions. We want to get the homeowner talking so that we can understand their needs, what they want, why they want to shower, why they want to do this, why they want to do that. So then we can better give them, you, know, you better meet their needs for what they're after, okay? Well, the same is with, with dealing with people for the gospel. Like, find out where they're at, what they believe, ask them questions, try to understand them better so that you could better relate to them in sharing the gospel, okay? So I became, I was made all things to all men. That's what the Apostle Paul meant by that. Build bridges, not walls. We're not, we're not changing the message. We're not compromising. We don't need to water it down, but just find common ground with people. All right, number three, um, his reason for refusing the support of the gospel is for his own sake. He says, Know ye not that they which run a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So Paul was using a metaphor here um, that all would understand. They were very familiar with sports. They were very familiar with the Olympian games and also their own local um, Isthmian games held in Corinth. And, and he was talking about an athlete how an athlete must be disciplined if he's going to win the prize, if he's going to run the race and, and win um, the race and, and you know, giving up good things and, and giving up better things for the best thing. That's what athletes do. They, they watch their diet. They, they, they have a schedule and time management, and they're very disciplined. They learn to say no because they're disciplined for the cause in which they are training for. Um, it's amazing to me, um, even in our present society, and I imagine it was like that back then as well. Of course it was if Paul was referring to it, but it's amazing to me the extreme discipline that athletes have for their goal, what they go through and how they're able to bring their bodies into subjection, into submission um, to what they're trying to do. So we ask ourselves, how about us as Christians? Do we bring our, our bodies, do we bring our schedule, do we bring our, everything around us into subjection and into authority with discipline for the cause of what we're doing, for the cause of living for God, for a, the cause of being a successful Christian? And this is a, this whole idea that our, our Christian liberty, um, the Paul's liberty to be supported by this church, he, he brought it into, he, he yoked it with discipline. 
He, he brought his, uh, his liberty um, in with discipline. And this is really the, the theme of this chapter. Um, he brought it into cooperation with discipline so that he could further the gospel. Because it would have been easier for Paul to put down his tent, to, to step away from the shop, step away from the 90-degree weather, and go minister to the Corinthians. That would have been easier for Paul. But he brought himself into subjection, into discipline, to do the harder thing for the furtherance of the gospel. Because he was, he was using his liberty in a mature way. Does that make sense? This is the principle that Paul is talking about here. Sacrificing, sacrificing immediate gains. <laughs> immediate gains for eternal rewards. And immediate pleasures for eternal joys. And bringing your whole, your whole being into subjection and discipline for the building up of the church, for the edification of the body of Christ. So, in, in chapter 8, we yoke to our liberty and our, our rights with love, um, that we would not become a stumbling block to our, our brothers and sisters. Why? Because we, for the edification and the building up of the church, in chapter 9 now, Paul used himself as an example, how he had the right to be supported by them, but refused the right because he didn't want to, um, he didn't he he wanted the gospel to further. He didn't want anybody to get the wrong idea, and he wanted them to know that he was there for one reason. And that was because God sent him. So he didn't do the easy thing. He did the hard thing for the edification of the church. And in order to do the hard thing, you know, living for God isn't easy. Doing the right thing is usually not the easy thing. And I mean, we can, that, pretty much every decision in life is like that. The, the, the right thing is the hard thing. It's the tough decision. And it's our tendency and in our human flesh and our will to, to take the easy route, to take the, the way that's most traveled by, okay? But would we take the path that may not be popular and may be hard because it's better for the church. It's better for the body. It's better for your walk with God. Amen? Let's all stand tonight. I hope this makes sense. You know, sometimes, you know, Paul talks and he kind of goes back and forth. And then it's in the King James lingo and you're kind of trying to understand what he's saying. And, uh, and he's really just continuing the thought process on Christian liberty that we need to, to do what's right um, for the edification of the church. Let's pray tonight. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. God, I thank you.